Good morning. It's so good to be back together worshiping and to starting off the new year to pray together, to sing together, to take the bread and the cup, and to hear the word. And so I'm excited to be here this morning and to open up the word of God with you. This morning we're going to spend our time in Psalm 103. Uh, I don't know about you, but the Psalms have always been a place of rest for me. Uh, It's always been an encouragement because God meets me both in head and heart, both in right thinking but right feeling. And so I hope that that will be the case for us this morning as well. Uh, Many of the Psalms um, offer prayers to God about life circumstances or specific sins that the psalmist is wrestling with. But this one is more general in nature and addresses the main concern in life. And so I think it will obviously affect all of us and have an impact on all of us. Um, What we will notice is that David is actually talking, uh, better yet, preaching to himself, not to God. Um, And if God is who he says he is, then we are commanded to praise him. And what we see here is that David's not praising God the way that God wants him to, with all of his being. And so I think the problem for us is the same, that we're not prone to praise God with all that we are. And that's where David finds himself, and so he begins his meditation and contemplation on remembering and not forgetting. If we are honest with ourselves, we are forgetful, right? Uh, Daily, even. And we don't praise God with all of our being. Why is this the case? How are we to get to a place of praising God? What does this praise look like? These are all questions that we're going to read and learn and study together this morning. So if you would, please stand for the reading of God's word. We're going to read Psalm 103 in its entirety. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it and it is gone. And its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. And his righteousness to children's children to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, 
and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So the main point of our passage is summed up in our forgetfulness and the mercy of God. Three weeks before Christmas, I'm doing some picking up around the house, and my wife and I are talking about Christmas and presents and all these kinds of things, and she uh, makes it very clear to me, which I'm actually grateful for, what she is wanting for Christmas. Um, And she says, you know, I'd like some rain boots or you know, something that's shiny or something that smells nice. And so I'm thinking, okay, rain boots. That's specific. I can get the rain boots. Two weeks later, let's fast forward, and I'm thinking, what was that list that she told me? And I forgot. And so I had to humble myself. I go, Melanie? So in a not-so-subtle way, um, can you remind me about that list of things that you're interested in for Christmas? And um, so I swallowed my pride. I asked her. She graciously told me, you're going to get me this? No. Uh, And so there I go shopping. But the problem is forgetfulness. And if you know me, my memory is terrible. Um, And maybe yours is the same. But in Psalm 103, David reveals to us the main concern that all of us have is our soul forgetfulness. And obviously this is way more important and more serious than remembering what Christmas present, even though that's a close second um, for my wife. Now, our soul forgetfulness and forgetting all that God has done for us, which results in us not praising him with all that we are. We find David opening this psalm not with a prayer to God or a cry to God, but rather David is preaching to his soul. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And further, he says, not just his soul, but all that is within me. He means all of his being, right? His heart, his mind, his soul, his affections, his will, everything that's the core of him. And this is the seat of our thoughts, our motives, our actions, our desires. All that is within me, bless his holy name. There's a connection between what we remember or believe and how we act. Right? We act based on what our soul and all that is in us is trusting. So at the core of our being, we ultimately have a heart and soul issue, which is our unbelief. Unbelief in the goodness and mercy of God and a deep-rooted desire to be our own master. Right? In verse 2, David proclaims, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. He's really talking about one and the same thing. That and is saying, blessing the Lord or praising him is the same as forgetting not his benefits or remembering all of his benefits, right? So the key to dealing with our condition of our heart and knowing how we should handle all of life's circumstances is by not forgetting or by remembering all of God's benefits. This kind of remembering honors God because it looks like his children having a fire in their soul 
that would lead to right thinking, loving, living, and worshiping. Sounds easy, right? But as we know, and David here reveals that our hearts are feeble and weak and we forget. And so there is unbelief and David is preaching to himself and fighting against this. And we're called to do the same. And so this psalm reveals what his meditation is and what his contemplation is on God and all that God is for David and all of his benefits. Like David, we do not bless the Lord. And we forget at the core of our being about the mercy of God and all of his benefits. So with David, let us remember what God has done and what he's going to do and do battle in our souls. Tim Keller actually is extremely helpful with this idea about remembering or or not forgetting. It's all throughout the Bible. And what he says is it's so much more than just a calling to mind something or a mental recall. Right? It's referring to our controlling consciousness. This is where we have something so central to our being that it affects everything that we do. It affects you completely and controls how we act. Okay? So what is controlling us will reveal itself in how we act, how we think, and how we speak. This is also one of the reasons why we need each other to really shine a light on where our hearts are not believing. Right? So Charles Spurgeon says, Memory is a very treacherous about the best things. By a strange perversity engendered by the fall, it treasures up the refuse of the past and permits priceless treasures to lie neglected. It is tenacious of grievances and holds benefits all too closely. It needs spurring to its duty, though that duty ought to be its delight. Did you hear that? It's... It needs spurring to its duty, though that duty ought to be its delight. Our natural bent is to remember the bad things more often and more clearly than the good. Right? There's psychological studies out there that tell us that, right? It just takes one bad thing said about us, and it ruins our day. And we can't get rid of it. But people can compliment you a hundred times, and you won't remember it. And I think we all know this. Right, that namely we remember the bad things said to us or about us more vividly than the good things. We actually believe the one bad thing. Right? God knows that this is our tendency, which is why he tells us to remember and to not forget all throughout the Bible. David suggests here in Psalm 103, the only answer to our problem rests on God's work in us and for us. And taking the necessary time energy and effort to meditate and contemplate on these benefits that God give us. It's not mere intellectual belief, right? We can't just say, yeah, that's what I believe, because that doesn't affect our soul, right? It's a wrestling with the truth until your life is changed by it. This is the fight of faith, and this is how David tells us to address the core issue of our heart. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. So first, what did God do? Remember that God saves us from sin. God forgives all your iniquity, verse 3. 
This is the first and most important benefit that God brings to his soul's attention. You and I don't merely have an image problem. If people would just see us the right way, or if we could put on the right shell and everybody thinks that everything's good with us, it's we have a deep-rooted, impossible heart problem. Right? That I only desire what I want and what I think will make me happy. My core belief is that I can make myself happy and live the way I want to live. This is just not true of me, but of you and everybody. Right? Romans says that we exchange the glory of the mortal God for images resembling mortal man. That we exchange the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. From this broken and fractured way of life, God has called us and saved us from ourselves and our sin. David knows this well, doesn't he? Think Psalm 51 here, right? His reflection on his sin when he committed adultery. And you know this well too, don't you? We must first acknowledge our problem and then praise the Lord that he forgives our sin. You know, the other beautiful aspect of verse 3 is in one word. All. Find rest in that word all. God doesn't merely forgive some of our sin or the little sins, but all. Everything is forgiven from the little white lie to the worst thing that you thought God could never forgive. This also means your ongoing struggle with sin, whatever that lingering sinful tendency is for you, is forgiven. All of it. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Verse 10, he does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. What would it look like if God decided to deal with us according to our sin? Have you ever thought about that? What would God repay us according to our iniquities? Friends, the reality is this is a debt that we cannot pay. There is no performance There is no service and there is no sacrifice that we could offer of ourselves to God to deserve forgiveness. But you know what? We don't believe that, do we? We actually think and believe a lie that we could offer something to God. I do this. I do this and it saddens me to say that if I would just do this, read my Bible more, pray more, be more disciplined, get over this sin, right? That God would like me more. He'd, he'd show me more favor, right? That's not the way it works, and that's not what we need. Fight the battle against those thoughts. We were not, we are not able to pay God back. Why? Because the debt is far too great, right? Our offense against God is so great, we cannot satisfy his demand for holiness and justice. Did he just decide to overlook the fact that we are sinners? Did he say, you know what, you're really not that bad? No. He did promise to not repay us according to our iniquities, but how does God, a holy God, answer to himself the requirement for justice? He demands not just a good effort, not just a good life offered up to him to repay our sin. He demands perfection. 
If you think that's unfair or unjust or that just hits you the wrong way, I would encourage you to think more deeply about the problem of sin, our sin, your sin. Right? Our sin required something that we could not offer. This is fulfilled only in the perfect life of God's Son. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Richard Sibbs, a long time ago, wrote, He became not only a man but a curse, a man of sorrows for us. He was broken that we should not be broken. He was troubled that we should not be desperately troubled. He became a curse that we should not be accursed. Whatever may be wished for in an all-sufficient comforter is all to be found in Christ. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Verse 12, he forgives our sin, all of our sin. And he removes it from us. How far does he take it away and throw it away? Infinitely. As far as the east is from the west. Right? Friends, your sin, my sin, is no longer a weight that we have to carry. It's no longer a cart that we're dragging behind us. That every time we look back, we see our shame and our guilt. No. God has seen fit to remove your sin and my sin as far as the east is from the west. He did it in Jesus. Forgiveness leads this list of benefits. God has first and foremost broken down the barrier between God and us that was due to our sin. It is completely removed. To truly praise God honestly and accurately, we must not forget that God has given us this gift of forgiveness. There is no lasting excitement about life. There will be no joy, and there will definitely be no worship apart from having a deep soul remembering and belief that our sin has been forgiven. The debilitating condition of guilt and shame have been removed once and for all. So no matter what the depth of your sin or how bad you think it is, whatever you've done, thought, said, or desired, It has been forgiven. When you allow your guilt and shame to remain a dark cloud over your head, you are forgetting or not believing that all of our sin has been removed from us. When we do sin, and we will, until the Lord returns, the opportunity is twofold. First, we should repent and ask God to change our desires, change our heart. And secondly, it is to see the greatness of God and all of his benefits that instead of holding your sin against you, he has dealt with that in Christ. When he looks at you, he sees Christ. And all of his benefits are yours as a child of God. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Secondly, what else did God do? Remember that God saves us from death. Verse 3 says, who heals all your diseases. And verse 4, who redeems your life from the pit. What has sin brought about for all of us? Disease and death. This is the curse of sin ever since the first man and woman sinned. It's our inheritance. Death is a part of life, and we all feel the weight of that condition. 
whether you are dealing with the loss of a family member or perhaps your own mortality, the lasting reality of death is one that none of us can escape. One of the greatest fears of man is that of his own death, and rightfully so. And so it would be for us, apart from the grace of God that has provided another way. Therefore, we are to remember that God heals our diseases and redeems our life from the pit. This is just not fancy speak here, okay? But a confident understanding that God will make this come to pass. We see this now only in part, right? But one day it will be completed. We know this now if we aren't mired in our own unbelief. The cancer survivor, the baby who's born two months premature and lives to be healthy, all of these are wonderful healings, right? And a sign that God is truthful to his promise to heal and redeem. This is just a down payment, though. Just a down payment. Just a glimpse of the fullness that will happen when Jesus returns and brings all of this to completion. I would strongly encourage you, if you haven't heard it, or you need to be reminded to go back. We just finished a wonderful series on 1 Corinthians. Go listen to the sermons on chapter 15. They will encourage your soul. The resurrection of Christ is the backbone of our faith. We are promised that physical death is not the final word, because Christ has been victorious over the grave. In the resurrection, there will be no more suffering, no more disease, no more death. There is no more crying and no more sadness. There will be no more pain and no more agony. This promise is one that will lead us to praise God. We will remember that while this body will not last, we will be raised with a new body, a new spiritual body. What is our comfort in dealing with disease and death. Look at verses 14 and 15. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it, and it is gone. And its place knows it no more. Friends, life is fragile and short We don't know the number of our days, but God does. He gives life to all of us, and he knows the hairs on our head. He knows our weak frame, that we are but dust. A wind passes over it, and it's gone. God is not a distant, far-off clockmaker who sets everything in motion and then forgets about it. No, he's a personal God, one who engages with his creation He engages with us and knows us and doesn't hold our frailty against us, but rather gives us hope in our wrestling with disease and our own death. Aren't some of the sweetest times with God found when we're at our weakest? I know that to be true in my life. But more importantly, God knows this and uses this for our good. Right? Humility arises when we understand our weakness and that we are in need of God's mercy for everything. But friends, death is not the final word. 
for any of us, for those who do not believe in Jesus and therefore rest in their own merit, there's an eternal separation from God in darkness. Ultimately, he forgets those. For those who rest in Jesus and all that God is for us in him, fellowship with God, we will be remembered and we will have glory. If we are to make the most of our brief time in this life, we should remember that God saves us from death. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Third, how does God do it? Remember that God saves us by steadfast love. Verse 4, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy? How can this be that God would save us? Have you ever asked yourself that question? How can it be, somebody like me, that he would save me because he was motivated by love? This required no fitness on our part. How could it, right? And was not tied to anything we could do to earn his love. You cannot separate love and mercy. You can't do it. You can't earn it. It's a gift, right? And this love is not a shallow love. I think so many of our experiences are of shallow love, and I think we project that on God. But no, this love is steadfast, never-ending, always constant, and strong. It is not like the candle that burns until the wick is expired, but it is rather supplied by a never-ceasing reserve of oil. It will burn forever. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, verse 8 says. Now those of you who know your Bibles well, or who have a study Bible, may recall that this phrase comes up earlier in the Old Testament. It's in Exodus. Exodus 34, God is speaking to Moses up on Mount Sinai. And I'm going to read it to you, verses 6 and 7. He's, God's basically speaking to Moses and proclaiming his name making a declaration of his character. But there's a difference. Here, Exodus 34, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children, to the third and fourth generation. Did you hear it? The difference? Moses said, but who will by no means clear the guilty. Never ever will God forgive and clear the record of guilt, is how that reads. And yet David says, your sins are forgiven, right? So which one is right? Is it Moses or is it David? Is there a contradiction here? That's the question. How can these different thoughts be reconciled in the Bible? I think that both Moses and David are actually telling part of the same story. Keep in mind that the storyline of the Bible is the gospel, that there is a love that is at work throughout the Bible that reconciles a people back to God. And David is developing the plot further, I think, than Moses And so where's the connection? I think it's actually found in Isaiah. Okay, 
Isaiah 53 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And if it ended there, I think Moses and our guilt would be on us, right? But it doesn't. Here's the beautiful picture of the gospel. Isaiah 53, And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You know what happened when God laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all? God actually forgot his son for a minute there where all of our sin was on him. He turned his face away and cast out his son. On the cross, God put our sin on his son and he was forgotten. Why? He was forgotten so that you and I would always be remembered. His love is upon us and will never forget us. This is our hope and how God brings us to praise him. Remember, this will change us and overcome all of our heart problems if we truly press this in to our soul. And all the circumstances in this world, whether they be good or bad, will be impacted by this one truth. So forget not that he was forgotten so that you might always be remembered. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. Verse 11. And furthermore, verse 17. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. These verses describe the height and depth and length of his love. Again, none of these features in, that describe his love, none of it will fade. We will not be forgotten because God has set his love on us. The God who placed the stars in the sky and named them. The God who put the expanse above, that is millions of miles and light years upon light years and ever expanding. The God who put life on this earth and made the depth in the oceans loves you so great that he gave up his own son that we would be his. And this love will be both now and forever. Meditate, friends, on this and bless the Lord, O my soul. Fourth, why does God do it? Remember that God saves us to satisfaction in him. Verse 5 tells us everything we need to know. Who satisfies you with good or who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. What does it mean to get satisfaction? Don't we all crave it? And so few, if any, have it? Right? We look for it in all sorts of places. We look for it in relationships. We look for it in recognition and fame, in financial security, and in sex. But in the end, it's all the same. We're disappointed. Unless, unless that is, you find satisfaction in God. Augustine said, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. My friends, our satisfaction is found in God himself. 
the giver of all of these benefits. Every good gift is from above, and your life, your spouse, your kids, your intelligence, your money, it all came from God. But we should not demand too much from the gifts themselves, but instead turn our focus to the giver. The gift has nothing beyond itself to give us, but the giver, the giver is from everlasting to everlasting. He never runs out of love and mercy. He is endless from before time and for all eternity. The analogies here for joy and satisfaction, unfortunately, they all fall short. And I was working hard to try to press this in. And one of the ways that I do that personally is to reflect back to the time, and we go frequently, my wife and I, out to Colorado and see the mountains, uh, specifically Estes Park, Colorado, uh, and the Rocky Mountain National Park. And it's funny, I remember the first time ever going out there, you fly into Denver, you get in the car, and you see the mountains. And they're forever away, it seems like, but they are very much noticeable. You can't look any, at anything else. And you're just blown away by it, especially if your experience is the Appalachian Mountains, let's be honest, um, in comparison. And so you're driving, and you get into Estes Park, and they're all around you. And you see the beauty and the majesty. But even more so, you go to one of the trails, right? You get to the trailhead, and you're hiking up. And you go through the tree line, and eventually at a certain height, there are no more trees. They can't grow at that height. And so you start to see out from the mountain, and you see mountains upon mountains and just the beauty of it. And then you keep on climbing, and you get to the top, 13, 14,000 feet, and it is just beautiful. It's almost sensory overload. You take a deep breath, and you've got to take a lot of deep breaths, by the way, because if you're not used to that height and elevation, it hurts. Um, But you take a lot of deep breaths. It's clean, crisp, beautiful, fresh air. And you look out, and you can see for hundreds of miles and see other mountains And just how beautiful it is. And you know what you realize? That no one person could have ever done this. Except for God. Right? You're just blown away. And you're just satisfied. It's almost like you can taste it. Right? And maybe you have similar experiences to that. But you know what? There's nothing that compares to the satisfaction of having God himself. Because you know why? He is the one who made all of our experiences. Every pinnacle of satisfaction that we could find in this world was thought up first in the mind of God and given to us as a good thing, as a reflection, just a small peek behind the curtain of his glory. Bless the Lord, O my soul. The metaphor in verse 5 gives us all the clarity I think we need to understand how we are satisfied. It says, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. If we are doing battle against sin and fighting this fight of faith in our soul, then we need to be renewed. And this is what it looks like. First, this idea of our youth being renewed. In our youth, there is a beauty 
and an energy, a strength, and a joy that's uncompared, right? I remember the days of my youth. I could run and play basketball all day long. I'd never get tired. I'd want to play another game, right? I had no cares in the world, and there was a sense, there was this joy that life just seemed easy, right? Or you can see it maybe in your kid's eyes as well, right? Now, I don't think I ever had the beauty part down, but that's okay. And in a spiritual sense, though, I think we have the same reflection. You think about somebody who's recently come to know Jesus, right? They're just passionate, want to learn so much, dig deep, go serve, do all these things. There's just a joy and an energy and a strength and a beauty to that, right? But that fades, doesn't it? Circumstances in life impact that, right? And so we need to be renewed. And David is saying, you know what? I'm going to meditate and I'm going to contemplate on these truths until it changes the way that I live. And you know what? God himself is our greatest satisfaction. So look no further than God himself who gives us all of these benefits. Secondly, we are renewed like the eagle. Okay? After some research, I've learned a lot about eagles. And you may know all of this already, but I didn't. Um, Eagles have very good eyesight. In fact, it's multiples of our eyesight. And so obviously they can see from very far away and, and see their prey. And they have a lot of strength, even in their small frame. Their beaks are very strong. And their wingspan can be seven or eight feet. That's bigger than that right there. And that's impressive for a little bird, right? But they are arguably the most powerful bird of prey and at the top of the food chain. And what I found was that every eagle, every bird, goes through this process of shedding feathers, okay? And replacing them with new feathers. It's what's called molting. And this process at first makes it look the eagle thin and uneven, unhealthy, rather worn and old, but the process, when it's done, the eagle is renewed and strong and energized again. And so it is for us who are satisfied with God and in God. This satisfaction will grow into praise and change our heart, and we will remember and not forget his benefits. And I'll conclude here with a quote from C.S. Lewis. Uh, Some of you may have heard this, but it's actually a great summary about joy in God from his reflection on the Psalms. I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete till it is expressed. It is frustrating to have discovered a new author and not be able to tell anyone how good he is. To come suddenly at the turn of the road upon some mountain valley of unexpected grandeur and then to have to keep silent because the people you are with care for it no more than a tin can in the ditch. To hear a good joke and find no one to share it with. If it were possible... For a created soul fully to appreciate, that is, to love and delight in, the worthiest object of all, and simultaneously at every moment 
to give the delight perfect expression, then that soul would be in supreme beatitude. To see what the doctrine really means, we must suppose ourselves to be in perfect love with God, drunk with, drowned in, dissolved by that delight, which far from remaining pent up within ourselves as incommunicable, hence hardly tolerable, bliss flows out from us incessantly again in effortless and perfect expression. Our joy is no more separable from the praise in which it liberates and utters itself than the brightness a mirror receives is separable from the brightness it sheds. The Scotch Catechism says that man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. But we shall then know that these are the same thing. Fully to enjoy is to glorify. In commanding us to glorify Him, God is inviting us to enjoy Him. May God grant by His mercy a deep heart and soul-affecting remembering that would order our lives and determine how we deal with our circumstances when He gives them to us. If all of this sounds foreign to you, and by that I mean you don't think that this applies to you, satisfaction, much less satisfaction in God. I want you to know that none of the benefits are for you until you get Christ. You must be born again. There is no renewal unless you have been given new life in Christ. The weeks and months ahead, Matt's already said it, but we're going to be studying the book of John together, and we're going to get more in-depth about what this new birth looks like. But don't wait until then. Today you can trust in Christ and his work on the cross will be applied to you. Then you can enjoy all the benefits and satisfaction that is only found in Christ. So in conclusion, let us remember my meditating and contemplating on the promised benefits of God in Jesus Christ until our hearts are fired up to live a satisfied life. Remember that God has saved you from sin. Remember that God has saved you from death. Remember that God has saved you by his steadfast love. And remember that God has saved you to satisfy yourself in him. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Let's pray. Father, we desperately want this to be so, that we would worship you with all of our being. And yet we know we can't do this. We need a supernatural work in our hearts that will change it, that we would be motivated by the beauties that are found in Christ. Bring these to our attention today, this week, as we wrestle with our sin and those tendencies to forget. We pray that in so doing that you would be glorified and that we would have joy. And we ask for all of these things in Christ's name. Amen.